0: Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Team's podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. So welcome to this week's episode of Why Language Matters. Today, we're going to talk about masculinity, what that means, how we've previously defined it, and how we may be redefining it now. My name is Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she and her. I am a first generation Ecuadorian American. Uh, I grew up in Arizona and recently moved to Southern California where I now live.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Marcus Accord. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I am a white male. Uh, I grew up in Louisiana and I'm currently living in Fort Myers, Florida.
2: Hi, my name is Badiana Badio. My pronouns are she, her. I am a first generation. Asian American. I grew up in Massachusetts, lived abroad for quite some time, and I have come back to Massachusetts.
3: Hey everyone, my name is Joel Guzman. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I am a first generation Mexican American. I live in Denver, Colorado, born and raised, and I'm also the attraction lead for our Latinx um, employee resource group.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Really happy to get this conversation started. It's been something that has been on our minds for, I think Joel said earlier today, about a year now since last Hispanic Heritage Month, when we were talking about what are some of the things that maybe people who identify as Latina, Latino, La- Latinx, Hispanic, what would be top of mind and what are some of the conversations that, you know, we're starting to have that maybe, you know, our parents didn't have or our grandparents didn't have um, to just. Kind of better ourselves and better the people around us, and uh, machismo came up. Joel, do you want to kind of talk about what machismo is for those who may not be familiar with that word?
3: Yeah, happy to. A little bit of context. Nicole and I, about a year ago, were talking about topics that we could bring up for Hispanic Heritage Month, and I don't know why I just happened to bring up machismo. It was the only real definition that i had for you know men puffing their chest and us being brave strong courageous around each other or at least acting like we are and i think over the last year i've you know i've realized and i've defined machismo as actually masculinity and it's uh it's a pretty interesting topic it's been something that i've i've essentially become obsessed with over the last like 2 3 months and you know for me i think as far back as i can think i've i've kind of wrestled with Some of the failures, I think, with our upbringing um, that I see, um, how men interact with one another, you know, some of these invisible rules and expectations that I think we have of one another. But I think for me, the most important piece of the, the machismo, the masculinity, is like this generational cycle that boys go through as they become men. And we learn to suppress our emotions, right? We become hard and we move away from things like, you know, crying or expressing your emotions. And what I've seen in, in my experience, it's exponential in Latin culture. Uh, we conceal so much more of our human experience for acceptance, and we try to fit this script that you know Latino men have have uh, historically, I guess, written out for us. So it's a little bit of context on like how this topic for me has has, has started to evolve, and some of the questions that i've been I've been poking at it
0: yeah definitely machismo i think for those of us in the in the latinx community know that word and kind of know what it means to us and being you know first generation american i think from the american side i can see masculinity has always been sort of um a thing right like you know men want to be manly men you know i grew up with that with these very strict gender roles of you know if you want to run with the boys we're going to call you a tomboy like Girls wear different things than boys do, and girls are, you know, open or communicative, but, you know, boys are strong, right? And so it's this weird dynamic that I think a lot of us have grown up in, and and some of us start to explore, and like, wait a minute, but I'm not all of those things all of the time. So super, super interesting, and thank you so much for bringing it up. I'm curious from you, Marcus, how you might define masculinity, or how you might have um, viewed that growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's as I mentioned, I grew up in in Louisiana. I came from a family and community that was very, very blue collar. I guess you'd say. You know, most of my family are are welders, roofers, truck drivers, uh, oil rig workers, and so there were you know very clearly defined roles of you know these are traditionally um, um, masculine uh, roles, and I can remember very clearly the language used. You know about you know, what it means to be to be a man, to be tough, to be to be all those things. And so there were those roles that were very clearly defined. what I, I think was was interesting and we talked about this as the planning for this was my mom wasn't the one who showed a lot of affection, but my dad did. He was you know very he's a big guy he's like six, three, six four, you know, big kind of a bear of a man but also very, very uh, you know, emotional he showed uh, he showed his, his uh, feelings to us. Um, but that wasn't typical of most of our family and most of our the community that, that we were in. So yeah, I, I kind of saw very clear roles um, you know, when I was growing up and what you did, what you didn't do. Um, and it wasn't until oddly enough when I joined the military, which is which is a very um you know, it's kind of an environment where you also there's not a lot of emotions being being shown. But I got to meet a lot of people who who did and, and they they're the ones that kind of to break down those those stereotypes of, of what, uh, what is masculine, what is feminine. You know what is uh, what those expectations are. So I've been on this journey myself of learning and, and exploring, you know what this means in my relationships and the words that we use. And so I'm I'm very appreciative of, of this conversation.
0: Well, anything to add to that, Joel? On you know from your perspective and your experiences.
3: Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, I, I didn't plan to talk about this, I guess, but something that has come up, I, I think today was, you know, I'm a first generation born Mexican-American. My family is from El Rancho, as we call it, right? We're from like farmers. And, you know, we grew up on 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 the land and there was, you know, cowboys in our family, right? Vaqueros, like we were charros almost, right? And and there's like this pride, this sense of pride, this You know uh, the story that comes to mind is usually when I shake my uncle's hands, it's like this aggressive, firm handshake, and you have to look each other in the eyes, and it's almost like a a bit of a standoff type of situation. There's like always this competitive nature, I think, between between men, and especially as you grow up, there's you know these rules that you learn, like, hey, I'm supposed to be big, I'm supposed to be strong, I shouldn't be weak, I shouldn't be soft, right? And for me, I think growing up. my my father comes from. Uh, he was born and raised in Mexico. Um, he immigrated here when he was 17. But the reason he immigrated was partially some of the things the opposite, Marcus, of what you talked about, right? My grandfather wasn't very affectionate with them. I don't think they ever were told that they were, you know, that they they loved them or that they were hugged. And and so we, you know, that's that's my background with my father. So he had to learn that with me growing up. And I think now as I'm parenting my children. I'm learning to say, I love you. I say, I love you to my mom and dad and my dad all the time, even though he gets awkward about it. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, very different for me as a Latino, um, especially, you know, my wife's family is very affectionate. Um, I feel like I've kind of grown up with uh, my wife's uh, grandfather and, you know, to your point, Marcus, I've picked up a lot from the rooms that I've been in the communities that I've kind of, uh, have been a part of more so recently. And I'm learning that, I'm unlearning a lot of what, what I had to pick up, I think, to quote unquote survive high school and middle school. And that for me, I think a very drastic uh, contrast, right, is, you know, there wasn't a lot of emotion, I think, growing up. It wasn't a lot of uh, love, as, as awful as that sounds. But we also just, you know, we that that's what we thought was normal.
1: Yeah, I you know, it's interesting to say that it was, you know, I talked about my dad and like, I don't remember my dad ever hugging, you know, his, his dad or, or family members or friends or anything like that. But with us, he always showed love. He always, you know, I guess because we're his kids. Yeah, even as an adult, and, and i I shared this before, you know, every time I'd go home to visit, you know, I, I moved away from home when I was 18. I joined the military. Every time I go back though, you know, I see him, it, it's, a, it's a hug, it's, it's I love you. Um, and And I would leave. And, you know, I had multiple hugs on the way to the car. I'd hug him as I'm walking out the door, as I'm about to get in my car. And he would call me a few times as I'm driving to the airport. And he would be like, hey, I just, I couldn't remember if I told you I loved you. But it's just an interesting that, that I, I, again, I don't remember him saying that to any of the family, my friends. You know, and, and so I don't know if it was that, what that projection was. Um, I don't even know how to describe that. But. And so for me I, I took that love. And so now when I see friends, I hug my friends and you know, hug my brother and, and tell him I love him and so it's not it's like I like I took my own learning from that. But I also recognize that it's not it's not typical. It's not what a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that.
2: I have a different perspective. Um, my the example of Machismo in my home was the matriarch, my mom. Um, So she was the one that was harder, doesn't channel, doesn't talk about emotions, feelings, didn't know what to do when I cried, obviously not as a baby, but growing up when I was like a young woman, it was like, oh my God, do not cry. Like, I don't know what to do with that emotion. So my father was the one who was extremely affectionate, extremely nurturing, like always wanted, told me he loved me hugged me, told me I was beautiful, I was wonderful, I had a lot to offer this world. And I know that my mom learned that from her upbringing because her father wasn't in the picture. So her mother had to be this really strong, forceful figure for the children that she had and my mom naturally adopted that similar rough, tough, gruff attitude to survive in this new country called America and provide for her three children and also children of her siblings who she also took in to take care of. So it, she sacrificed her own emotional health because she felt she needed to, to be, you know, the provider or the maternal figure that tough woman who had to make sure that every the household was clean and who she was giving everything that she could.
3: For so. me, my dad was off working 12, 14 hours every day, and it resonates with me, too. Um, I think, Nicole, you're you're kind of saying that, that, um, you know, having strong women, I think, is necessary, especially both with the matriarch, but also patriarchy, which are both words I haven't had to, I guess, define until recently. I never looked them up to understand the meaning of them, uh, but my mom was, you know, she was she's the, the the grown up that was always in the house. You know, we were home for summer when it wasn't time for school and she was very compassionate. I mean, she's the purest soul in my opinion, right? I think everybody kind of has this feeling of their mother and being this way. And she was so caring and so, you know, loving to all of us. And she made up for, I think, some of the shortcomings that my dad had. And, you know, for me, I think it's also really interesting that my mom is also very, um, she believes in this machismo. I've talked to a couple of my friends who are Latino and it's it's a lot of the same, right? That they believe that, hey, I should raise these boys to become men, to take care of the house, to go work. You know, and so some of these these things that I think we picked, we picked up from, or I picked up from my mom, like being sensitive, listening, caring, being compassionate, um, you know, those things have stuck with me. And as much as like through middle school and high school, it wasn't cool to do those things. Like I'm now realizing, that's one of the big pieces I have to unlearn is, you know, to not hide my emotions and to not be approachable to my children. And you know, it's it's this really weird kind of reverse psychology stuff that we teach our kids. And I think for me, that's really why, why I'm so passionate about this topic. Is, you know, I'm trying to raise raise uh, my kids to not only be good men and women, but to be good humans. And so, at the bottom of all of this is kind of this conflict of yeah, we we say one thing, but when in in society, we're taught and we act a totally different way too.
0: Yeah, I I was going to say that that Bariana's experience resonates with me. Growing up with a Latina mother, single mother of four kids, um, she was everything. She had to be everything. You know, our, our dads were sort of in. I say our dad. <laughs> uh, let me let me break that down a little bit. Uh, my older sister has a different father than my brother and I who also has a different father than my younger sister. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of dynamics there, but you know, our fathers were, you know, in and out, they were, they were there, but we were home all the time with mom and, um, that you gotta be strong. You gotta be able to take on anything and everything, but there was still was crying. (laughs) There still was, you know, a lot of that other stuff. And so, I think for me, it, it it gave me this well-rounded, like you can go break down and cry, but you can also be the strongest person in the room at the same time. And I think that kind of may, maybe much like your mother, Badiana, made me kind of be like, okay, I have to be everything and I have to be both at the same time. So it kind of puts that pressure on. But it's interesting to me when, especially when we were talking about, you know, father saying, I love you. And I, I think it's important to know that like, you know, this, probably isn't everybody's experience and not saying that all men you know don't tell their children they love them but I think it's more of this societal expectations and these societal pressures and norms that sort of make us feel as if we have to be you know one specific thing or one specific way obviously that's a product of our upbringing but that sort of manifests in how we present ourselves and, and how we think we can react to things.
3: You know, I, I mentioned um, I've been over the past two, three months, very passionate about this topic. I've almost taken it as like, a, I don't know, uh, like my responsibility to mankind to understand this. And um, I've, I've challenged the men around me um, and I've asked everyone, uh, either through text or in you know, conversation, you know, what is your definition of being a man? And I, I initially get this reaction at first of like, are you okay, something going on? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just trying to, you know, I, I wanna understand what it means to be a man from other from other men around me. And it, it's always met with this like um, resistance, right? It's initially met with like, it, it's it's turned on me of like, I'm going through something and it's like, no, it's just a question. I just wanna know your definition. Um, But the two and maybe three biggest pieces, you know, words I think that come out of these definitions and that have come out is protector, um, the provider, and the leader, right? I think those three words have almost synonymously been in every single man's definition of, and it's it's always tied back to um, being able to provide and be successful. It's not about being a good person, right? So when, when you hear somebody define what it is to be a good man or to be man enough. Um, There's never anything really, uh, I I call them the softer traits of being kind, caring, sensitive, honest, um, emotional, respectful. None of that has ever come up. It's always been, you're the protector of the family, you're the provider, you bring the money home, you take care of business, you're, you're a leader of the house and that's kind of your role. Um, And I think it's very true in Latino families. It's very, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super thankful to hear your story, Nicole, and also for you, Badiana, that, you know, we are, I'm grateful to have a very strong woman and mother in my, in my family who, again, at times had to figure things out herself. You know, she had to drive us to school, she had to work and at the same time, you know, put food on the table. And, you know, she was doing the role of four or five different people in our household, but that's just what's expected from women. And, you know, I think there's oftentimes this uh, you know, we take advantage of it or we take it for granted. We don't appreciate the women in our lives. And I think most men, and um I got an interesting story about this, but I think most men don't don't realize that we hurt women um because of our masculinity and, and really the toxic masculinity, which is a, a separate separate conversation probably, but um yeah, just wanted to touch on that.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Joel. I mean it's it's I think there's there's a lack of awareness of, of the harm that's caused. Um but I also hate to say I think some people are also like, Well, that's that's my little that's who I am, and they don't you know, so for for us, for you again to take this on and, and so many of us need to just need to make others aware of the harm that they're causing. Um and when people show an ambivalence to you know they don't seem to care then that's even more our concern like no no like now i'm going to step in Like i've told you this is a problem and you continue to do this and like that's our job to step in and, and help fix this
0: it's interesting when you say marcus like you know people are like well that's that's who i am and and you know just as we talk about this topic it's maybe that is a piece of who you are, right? Maybe you do identify as, you know, a leader or strong, or maybe that is what you want to do is provide financially for your family. But I don't think that's all of who people are, right? Like, I think we have so many more components. And I think that's why it's so interesting to explore this, because it allows for us to you know, say, well, a man can also be very compassionate, a man can also be very kind, and that can be a very manly thing. And so I I really love this, this conversation. So we can, like I said, deconstruct what we sort of think we know is what should be masculine, those societal expectations. And, and, but what, you know, who people actually are, and how they can start to bring their full selves to work, to life, to their marriage, to their, you know bringing up their kids um so i'm i'm curious like joel you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work here in this space and it's really great to see like i can see you know it's always over video chat because <laughs> it's still all remote right but um I, I see the light in your eyes like i see the excitement you want to talk about this and so i'm curious what are some of the things that you know once you started exploring this space what are some of the things that you've started changing um, or new things that you've started doing with either your wife, your your parents, or your kids, and how has that like impacted you, your family? I'm just I'm just curious.
3: Yeah, uh, great question, Nicole. And and I think before I, I jump into that, um, you know, I got to give some credit here to uh, a fellow Sunrunner, uh, somebody who I've actually known my entire career here with Sunrun. I've been here five and a half years, and they took a leap of faith in in sharing a podcast with me, which I. I almost feel like a hype man for now because I, I talk about it endlessly. I feel like every conversation and person i talk talked to in the past few months, the first word that comes out is podcast. Check out this podcast. Um, and the podcast is called Man Enough uh, by Justin Baldoni. And it's, it's really, uh, how do I put it? It's, um, it's a refreshing approach to men having conversations and being vulnerable about the things that, that uh, we traditionally just don't talk about. I, the uh, the crying, you know. Hey, I feel uh, I feel like I'm not man enough. I feel like I'm not able to do these things. And so, you know, selfish plug here, I guess. But just wanted to share that podcast. I have to recommend it um, just because I feel like it's done so much for me. That's kind of been my gateway into this topic. And you know, I think uh, the first thing I've had to learn and I've I've had to do um, to become a better person is is to look up. You know, and I, I challenge on anybody listening. Like if I think most men are, you know, we're, we're afraid of what toxic masculinity means. We're not saying it's wrong to be a man, but there are things that being a man in traditional sense has, has kind of created in our society that is toxic and that it, it impacts our society. It impacts the women around us. And, you know, and so first and foremost, that was like where I started I'm sitting here in between meetings, Google toxic masculinity. And it just was like, it was like the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. Like, you know, haven't been able to come back out. I don't think I want to come back, out, back to quote unquote normal. Uh, but that's where it started, right? You know, learned about patriarchy, what male privilege is. Like, I don't think we talk about that enough in society, what male privilege is. Um, and really the fact that a lot of our shortcomings impact uh, the people we care most about. My wife, for example, right? I might be too prideful to do the dishes or to help with laundry and even though i can do it um i have this feeling of like resistance against it because it's it's not quote unquote manly to do the dishes or what have you um so that's one example um i think a big piece that i've been doing with my family is is just talking um we've had some pretty uh you know some pretty big traumas in our life you know there's been physical abuse i think any hispanic uh, or latino that you'd speak to will tell you the, about the chancla you know i think it's like a running joke nowadays that you know we were abused as kids and it, it was the form of discipline right it wasn't just out of uh, you know out of people being mean but it's because we we either be, be, behave badly um and it's not just latinos i think this extends out you know out to other cultures as well uh, but we've had domestic abuse there's been sexual abuse in our our families um grief Loss, stress, trauma, health—even right—and and what I've really been focusing on is talking about the things that happen around us uh, with my siblings. You know, kind of asking my dad, for example, "Hey, what does it mean to be man?" And to this day, I've talked to my dad maybe five, six different times in the past month, and I keep bringing this question up, and he's not able to quite put his finger on what it means to be man enough, and, and so we're starting to kind of build a relationship through that, and we're talking about these things that are super uncomfortable, Um, you know, forcing, I'm forcing my siblings and my father, my mom uh, to be very vulnerable with me and to, you know, just really open up about kind of some of the traumas that we've had. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, the silver lining for me is that, and I think for a lot of my siblings is that we've, we've developed relationships because of it, right? Oftentimes we're so busy working and, you know, it's maybe a phone call or a text message, you know, once a week or something. And you know, I'm talking to my little brother every couple of days. My sister, I just joined her therapy, and you know, I've kind of put my my guard down in a sense. I've taken the shield away, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to be my I'm going to be my true honest self. I'm going to express how I feel, and I'm going to allow others to to do the same with me. And it's been, I mean, I talk about this like analogy of a backpack that we carry through life, and there's a lot of things in my backpack that I've been able to take out of it. And so there's a lot less weight on my shoulders. I feel a lot more light and happy. So, you know, those are, sorry, long winded answer there, but uh, those are some of the things that I think have been coming from, from this topic. And, you know, really just wanna share that with everybody. I think it's important that we, we have these relationships and talk about these uncomfortable things to, to grow as, as people
0: yeah that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing and i have to turn over to marcus because you know the person who brought these i'll say quote unquote uncomfortable conversations to our company uh so i'm sure you have lots of experience there marcus
1: yeah yeah I, I, you said a couple of things there, Joel, that really really stuck with me one was you know the the Defined roles and the harm that it causes to to your spouse, and, and I think people will hear things like, "Oh, you don't want to do the dishes." What's the real harm in that? It's it's the extra burden that, that we put on on women to perform all of those roles in addition to you know, having a career and all these other things. Like that is a real harm, a real stress, um, and it, it stems from that belief, like, "Oh, there's different roles for different people." Um, and so it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to, you know, relieve that burden and be like, you know, this is truly shared and, and just break down those, those roles. Um, the other thing we mentioned, and it goes back to, to the military and was talking about the the harm that is caused by not, by not being able to express yourself because of those defined roles. And I mentioned that before, like how oddly how for me it opened up when I joined the military because, you know, I think... There's this weird dichotomy in the military like, like you got to be tough, you don't show emotion. But what I saw a lot of people reaching out to each other, saying, "Hey, brother, you know I've gone through this with you. i going going through these traumatic experiences. You know I, I love you." Like showing that expression of love because there was this high high rate of suicide, this high rate of you know destruction, destructive behavior. Um, and you know we had a lot of discussions. I got to I had the opportunity to teach leadership classes for three years while I was in the Navy. And that's a lot of what we talked about. Like, hey, this is about, you know, being the best person you can be, and when you don't, and when you bother about it, and you don't show that emotion uh, because you don't think you're supposed to. And that can be extremely harmful. You know, it becomes extremely harmful to yourself, to the, the people that you're working with. Um, and so that for me was and so we started having. You know, it wasn't specifically a can conversation or anything that was in the podcast, but it was just conversations with others about, hey, you know, it's, you know, I want to know what you're going through. And, you know, I've, I, you know, I, either I've been through it or someone else in the team's been through it. Like, let's, let's connect with each other and don't let that, that machoism get in the way. Um, it also helped that a lot of my, my friends in the military were, were women who were just, you know, uh, just tough as can be. And you know, that could, could show emotion, but also be incredibly tough. I think just having those discussions with each other is extremely helpful. So yeah, I, again, I love, just, you know, how do we have more of these conversations? How do we share that? How do we help each other? I think that's really me and, and important.
2: What I love about these conversations is I think for me, what it's doing is it's normalizing, discussing our emotions. I feel like so many facets of our life we are subconsciously being told that our our emotions shouldn't be discussed, we shouldn't talk about it, we shouldn't have feelings, we should repress our feelings, we shouldn't deal with our feelings, and they're just being uh, put on the back burner and it's harming us. We don't know how to emote, we don't know how to describe how we're feeling or or our emotions and we're just shutting down this ability to just be vulnerable compassionate empathetic and really share these traumas or these store experiences with each other especially those really difficult ones because surprisingly enough when you do open up about them you realize that so many people can relate and they were just waiting for someone to actually talk about it so they can feel confident and comfortable talking about it because they felt for so long that they couldn't so this these conversations are critical for the health of and well-being of everyone. So everyone starts realizing like, okay, it's okay for me to be like this. I'm not going to be penalized or I'm not going to be looked down upon for having these emotions or having these feelings and actually discussing them with others.
0: That's such a great point, Patiana. It's so, you said for everyone, and it really is like, you know, we talk about the generational traumas and and the experiences and the the baggage, Joel, you know, that we carry with us that we got from our parents or our grandparents, and we may not even know that. And I'm so happy that you brought up, you know, and, and we don't have to go too far deep into this, but I think it's important to to recognize, you know, Marcus, you were talking about in the military, people started opening up with each other, especially the men, I love you brother, because the suicide rates were, were high. And I think it's important to know that that's not just in the military. That's everywhere. Um, I just looked up a quick statistic um, from 2019 that men are four times more likely to die by suicide than women are. And I have to wonder, you know, is it because of these expectations and these burdens, without being able to, without providing that opportunity for people to open up and and be vulnerable and talk about their traumas, so that they can work through them and and become more of a full human being and and you know bring their their full selves to life.
3: Yeah, I'd love to love to jump in on this one. I, I and maybe this is you know I love stories and and hopefully this gravitate or at least uh, will gra- gravitate some people to this topic too. But um, I was at King Supers. I think this was like two nights ago, and I took my daughter. She wanted this. I don't know. She wanted something from King Supers. It was a drink. I thought it was silly. Whatever. Um, and so you know, my son unbuckles himself. He was in the back seat. He crawls up into the front seat. And I'm parked you know at the front of the parking lot, right next to the door and there's cars driving by. So I flip my lights off. And, you know, there's a, another car coming the opposite direction. And this guy's wearing a Pittsburgh hat. And it was, you know, I, I like to think of, you know, oftentimes, as men, we we tend to act as if we're really brave, or we're quote, unquote, hard is is kind of the, the best way to put it. And this guy, you know, like, we make eye contact. And I'm in a, I'm in a. I'm a very optimistic, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I'm like smiling. I'm having a good time. My son's in the front seat playing with Hot Wheels, and like, you know, it just I'm living. It's life, right? And this guy like physically shrugs himself at me, and it was like this act of aggression, right? And it's like, what? What are you looking at? And for me, I kind of just thought like, I, I now see the opposite, right? Because I grew up around that. I grew up a, around teenagers and boys really trying to be the hard ones and be the you know, the strong guys that puff their chest and that, you, you know, you're you're the most dominant one, for example. And I now just see this like profound sense of just uh, of sadness. And, you know, it kind of it fills me with like, I don't know, like, I just see a lot of men go through that. And I think we more often than not are acting um, the way that society expects us to act uh, for acceptance, right? And, you know, I, I think this word acceptance and approval of other men is is such a profound... To, like just a topic within these podcasts that I've been listening to. And it, it's just really interesting that oftentimes we're not doing it for approval of women. We're not doing it to to impress a woman. We're doing it because we need approval of other men around us. And oftentimes that's that's the behavior, right? is hey, you're supposed to be hard, you're you're not supposed to be soft. And I, I think that has a, a very strong impact in our society you know, kind of going back to a man who grows up and doesn't know compassion for other people. Instead of, you know, somebody being aggressive towards me, say, hi, we're humans here. We're we're part of the same experience. And instead of us being, you know, just aggressive in nature towards one another, you know, we, we should be compassionate. We should be caring. And it's, you know, it's a very common thing that I think I see, especially, I mean, I grew up just outside of Denver uh, before it was cool. And, you know, it was a very aggressive and you couldn't walk out in the streets after nine o'clock. It was, you know, there's gang violence. It was just a lot of toxicness that was out there. So, you know, interesting story that recently happened, but I think for me, that's, that's what it is, is we're, we're playing these roles. We're acting a certain way. And I think inside we're, you know, we're, we're, we're hurting and we don't know how to ask for help. We don't know how to, how to just say that I'm not doing well. That's a really hard thing I think for men to, to, to open up about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for anybody, you know, from the woman's perspective, I, I think it's difficult, you know, to tell people, hey, I need help, or hey, I'm struggling here, um, you know, to not be that strongest person in the room. But I, I can imagine how how much more it would be, you know, to be a man and have those society, societal norms and expectations. I'm curious, if you were to give somebody advice, if they were starting to go down this path, or you know, maybe they hear something and they're like, maybe I'll just look up toxic masculinity for now and then put that down for a little bit, maybe come back to it. Do you, Joel and and Marcus, do you have any advice for somebody where they can start and where they can just kind of start exploring some of this in a soft way?
3: Yeah, you know, I I got a ton of advice here and I think it comes in stages and I think you have to also be in the right mindset, right? Uh, Many of us have been sitting at home for a year, almost two years, and I think we're we're all looking for ways to, A, keep our mind busy, but also be uh, healthy, right? Whether it's physically, a lot of people working out, but also just emotionally growing. You know, I have three things that I wrote down that have been huge for me. Uh, the biggest and the first one and the biggest one is, is to just shut up and listen. Um, I don't know how many times, you know, I've had an argument with my wife or an argument with my friends. And oftentimes I... I listen to respond instead of listening to just listen. And I think that that is a big piece for us is we're very prideful. Many of us, uh, as, me as a man, oftentimes I'm very prideful and I don't like to be wrong. You know, I think oftentimes there's a, there's a story out there of men who, who don't ask for directions, right? So shut up and listen um, is the first one. Uh, second, for me, is ask for help. I see this in work almost every day. And it's not just men, it's women as well. But, you know, there's a lot of stress, I think, on all of us right now, even more so that we're, you know, at home and isolated. Um, but it's okay to not be able to complete everything. It's okay to ask somebody for help. It's okay to say, hey, I'm not doing 100%. And, you know, just opening up that conversation, I think, is uh, the first step. And then I think, lastly, Nicole, I would say be wrong right? Accept being wrong and don't be defensive about it. I think that, that, that creates a lot of fights for me and it it, it makes h- longer fights with my, my wife when, when this happens. But, you know, it's okay to be wrong. I don't think all men have to know everything. Contrary to uh, societal beliefs, we, you know, we can be wrong and it's okay to, you know, to accept that feedback and to sit through it and, and be uncomfortable and learn through it.
1: Yeah, I think echoing just a lot of what Joel said is hey. You know, I know there's a lot of material out there in this podcast, as Joel mentioned. Um, you know, there's articles you know, sure you could research, you know, masculinity, talks of masculinity. You know, my, my advice is, as Joel said, don't be defensive. Um, you know, in my experience, some of the, as you read some things, it's it's some of the language that's used, it does, it's hard not to get defensive. Right? Because some of the languages, it feels like you're being attacked. Um, and so, you know, be open, be like, hey. Let me move past some of some of the words that do feel, uh, you know, are uncomfortable, Um, just move past that. Don't don't be defensive. Don't just be open to, you know, this is it's meant to challenge um, your own perceptions and your own experiences. And that's why we do these these conversations like it's it's meant to be uncomfortable. You don't grow uh, staying in your comfort zone. You don't you know, you don't expand yourself. Uh, by not opening up yourself to new ideas and and have these conversations with your friends. I think exactly what you've done, Joel, you know, starting to have these conversations with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers saying, hey, I'd like to talk about this. Um, You know, you're going to get people who aren't going to want to engage, who aren't going to want to be that open. Um, But I think the more that you do, uh, and again, I I saw that in some of my past experiences, uh, the more you let people know, hey, like it's it's okay to be vulnerable and, and talk about this. You find more people open up in the gates. Again, echoing a lot of what Joel said by uh, just being being open and not defensive, and uh, know that we're all you know the, the intent is positive. To how do we build better relationships and better connections?
0: Thank you. That's really solid advice. And I'm going to ask now, Badiana. Um, she may not be prepared for this question, but I'm going to ask you: What does it mean to you when your husband or your father or when the men in your life? make these conscious efforts to be more open and vulnerable
2: uh for me this probably pick up piggybacks the sentiment that i shared on my cultural conversation so for me it makes me feel seen this world has a way of you know making you feel small or minimized or not good enough or all the myriad, myriad of self-esteem issues that we all harbor from just you know presenting ourselves in this crazy world. And when you have your, the male figures in your life just being vulnerable, being empathetic, being compassionate, it allows and carves out space for my emotions and my feelings to be heard and understood and validated. So it's important, this conversation is so crucial for the male figures in our lives and in our friendships, et cetera, because we need you to feel like whole people and we need you to feel comfortable knowing that your feelings and your emotions matter because those emotions directly impact the females and the other people in your life. And it's, we are here for them. We're here to nurture them. We're here to nurture you through it.
0: Beautiful. I feel the same way. Thank you so much, Badiana. Thank you, Joel and Marcus. And for anyone listening out there, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about this um, a bit more in some future episodes and um, getting some different perspectives as well. So really excited about this. Thank you again, Joel, for, for bringing this up and for spearheading this.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Longtime fan is what I like to call it. I've listened to all the episodes and, you know, I I, uh, I'm humbled, I think, to be here. And, you know, it's really just an invitation, I think, at the end of the day for us to have these conversations. Uh, For me, I think just in closing here, Nicole, you know, it oftentimes we're so afraid to bring these things up with our friends or, you know, with our the people that are closest to us. And it's it's that. You know that leap of faith. It's it's that small invitation of putting your hand out there and saying, "I'm here for you. Let's talk about it." That that's that's all it takes. You just open the door, and it's it's a, you know, Marcus. You mentioned this, but every single man that I've talked to in my my life has it's been like a, an outpouring of emotions that happens afterwards. It's like like popping a water balloon. Just everything that we don't talk about comes out just uh, just instantly. So. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nicole. Excited to be here for for more.
0: Thank you. Thanks, everyone.